I want to say uh, thank you to everybody who uh, reached out to our family over the past uh, 10 days. Uh, the short story is this. Our kids, Montgomery and Clayton, were visiting their grandparents, and uh, Montgomery was uh, urinating a lot, drinking a lot of water, and uh, they took her to the doctor, and she had blood sugar off the charts, so they put her in the hospital at UVA Children's Hospital, and, um, and she was diagnosed with type 1 uh, diabetes. So um, I can tell you that she's taking it better than her parents uh, are, um, but we spent three days in the hospital and we got her levels back down and now it's kind of a whole new world for us with finger pricks and shots and um, other parents in this church know what that's like if you have uh, uh, children who are, uh, who are diabetic. But you know, I preach all the time that you don't ever know what people are, are going through um, and that's true, you don't. And then I'm always uh, blown away when I get a personal reminder of that, so we appreciate the, the prayers. Today, we are celebrating 76 years of mission and ministry at Woodmont. You might remember last summer, we had a big 75th celebration here at the church with the governor and many special guests that were, that were here. But back in 1943, there was a group of uh, roughly 100 men, women, and children that gathered uh, over at, at Woodmont School, which is right off Estes, where Woodmont Park is, on a Sunday evening uh, to start uh, this church. And, um, and if you read about it in the history volumes, we have three different history volumes of our church, one, two, and three that we published last summer, then you know uh, what a significant event that was. And, um, and if you look in your bulletin this morning, there was a document that the 100 men, women, and children all signed their names to, and it's called the Covenant. And we've continued to lift up this over the years, and I'd like if you would uh, share this with me this morning on this uh, birthday Sunday of Woodmont. Uh, let's read it together. We do hereby solemnly covenant with God and one another to band ourselves together to establish a Christian church in this community for ourselves and posterity. We pledge our time, our substance, talents, and prayers to the end that his church shall be a house of prayer for all people, a fellowship of those who believe in Christ and strive to follow his teachings and a part of the church universal. We aim to erect a suitable edifice for divine worship, for Christian education, for stewardship, for world missions, and to minister to the spiritual needs of the community. And all of this we covenant to be and do under the guidance of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, 76 years later, Woodmont carries on, and we are a, uh, a vibrant, healthy church right here on one of the busiest corners of Nashville, Tennessee, and our mission is clear, growing disciples of Christ by seeking God, sharing love, and serving others. And we have some core values uh, that are clear based on the word Woodmont. We want to be a welcoming church. We want to have outstanding worship. We want to be committed to outreach. Uh, we embrace different traditions and different denominations we want our members involved in ministry and mission. We want to be on the move, nurturing, and we want to transform lives. That's the DNA of Woodmont. That's who we are, and that's what we want to be about. This summer, we're studying what is perhaps Paul's most famous letter. In fact, I would say it is Paul's most famous letter, his epistle to the Romans. And today, we come to what is probably the most famous chapter of Romans, and that is Romans chapter 8 where Paul says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is reminding us that there is absolutely nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's do something this morning. I'm going to say a few words, and after I say the word, I want you to repeat by saying nothing, because I think Paul's serious when he writes these words. So let me say this, cancer, divorce, mental illness, poverty, politics, bad decisions, addiction, alcohol, hateful words, fear, anxiety. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can take that to the bank. Nothing can happen to you. Nothing can happen in your life that will make God love you less and that will take you away from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I spend a lot of time because I have three children. I spend a lot of time thinking about the future of Christianity the future of the church, what's it going to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, a generation from now. The church changes, it always has, but the message of Christ, the message of the gospel stays the same. The love of God doesn't change, and that's a good thing. But today on this birthday Sunday, what I'd like to do is is brainstorm with you about some of the factors, some of the characteristics that are going to keep the church, keep the Christian faith strong and vibrant for the generations and the years to come in an age that many people now label as very secular, where Christianity and religion uh, are often taking a backseat to what people would just call spirituality. They say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, I think that there are reasons why the church and Christianity is going to remain vibrant and essential in the future. The first is this. The church is built on Jesus Christ. It's not built on a preacher. It's not built on a social or a political platform. It's built on Jesus Christ and his love. In Matthew 16... We have this dialogue between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. And Peter was the, uh, the, the leader, the, the right-hand man of Jesus, the leader of the disciples. And, 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 and Jesus asks them, he says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, they rattle off some answers. He says, no, who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? He, he's, what does he say? He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know, it's been said before that if the church was not of God, it would not have lasted this long. Because we've done everything in our power to try to screw it up. And yet it lives on, and the message of Christ lives on. In addition to Jesus and Peter, I think the person that has probably played the largest role in the history of Christianity would be who? The Apostle Paul. 
the person who wrote the letter to Romans and many other epistles in the New Testament. Paul writes these words to the church at Corinth. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for nobody can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was always on the move. In the first century, Paul was traveling all over the Mediterranean world, planting churches, starting communities of faith, and then moving on to the next stop. He spent 18 months in Corinth, which is where he wrote Romans. He spent roughly three years in Ephesus, which was a very long time. Uh, Many believe he was in Thessalonica for less than one month, which was probably more typical of how long he would stay in, in one place. But, but he went to these places, he laid the foundation, he started the church, he started the community of faith, and then he moved on to the next place. And Paul is very clear in all of his letters that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. Now, of course, he dealt with other things in the letters, squabbles among believers, immoral and unethical lifestyles that were rampant in places like Corinth a lack of commitment, issues of money, uh, using the church for the wrong reasons, and the list continues. And you know, it's funny that all the stuff that Paul deals with in his epistles, we still deal with in the church today. But Paul is very clear to say that when it comes to the foundation of the church, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And so today, when churches lose their focus on Christ, when politics take over, when conflict takes over, when personalities take over, when power struggles take over, social issues, money issues, when these things get uh, to where they dominate a church, then a church is not healthy, when it loses its focus on Jesus Christ. And this happens all the time. This happens with faithful Christians. They let other things get in their way, dominate their mindset, and it's something other than Jesus Christ. But Paul is very clear that the foundation is Jesus Christ. Healthy churches and healthy Christians are focused on Jesus Christ. The second factor that will keep the church and Christianity strong in the generations to come is that the church must be a place of healing and encouragement and support for a broken world. Jesus was in the healing business. So the church must be in the healing business. There is a lot of pain in this world. You know, depression and divorce and illness and grief and loneliness and isolation, betrayal, um, financial hardships, cancer, you name it, it's there. And so the church must be a place that gives hope and healing to those who need it. And guess what? We all need it. And when you you do what I do uh, on a regular basis, you get to see up close the hurt and the pain that's there, and you're aware of it, and it's deep. And, 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 And to be honest with you, sometimes it's overwhelming, but it's real. Paul writes, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul is right. There's nothing in this life 
that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's always been true that when we don't deal with our own hurt, when we don't deal with our own pain, uh, uh, then we go and we inflict pain on other people. Think about that. If you don't deal with your own hurt and your own pain in life, then you're going to go and you're going to inflict pain onto other people. It's just, it's just what human beings do. And it's not healthy, but it happens. It becomes a, a, a vicious cycle. And so I don't know what pain you're carrying in your life right now. I know everybody in here has something. Some of you may have a lot more on your plate than, than other people. But the good news is that because of the church, because of the faith community, we don't have to carry it by ourselves. We have each other. It was so nice when we were in the hospital with our daughter to get emails and, and text messages and phone calls from, from people who care, who genuinely care, just wanted to know how we're doing and how she's doing. There's nothing like that to know that you're not going through life alone. You're not dealing with your own problems and your own issues by yourself. You got support. You got people that love you. You got people that care about you. That's powerful. That's community. That's what many, many people in our world need, and they might not even know it. The church must be a place that helps people deal with their pain and, and, and helps people heal. So we have AA at Woodmont, and we have big Al-Anon groups here, and we have divorce care and grief support groups and Stephen ministry, and we do pastoral counseling. We do marriage classes. It's why our elders are available to, to, if you need to talk to somebody. We acknowledge the fact that life is hard, and we want to do everything in our power to help people cope. And we're called to serve a hurting world and to spread hope and, and, and encouragement into a struggling culture because there's a lot of pain and we can't make it go away, but we don't have to shoulder it ourselves. Third, the church and the Christian faith in the future must remain committed to outreach and to service. You know, Woodmont has a long uh, tradition of serving this community and serving the, 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 the larger world. We take those words of Jesus seriously when he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. Jesus says very clearly, just as you did it to one of the least of these who were members of my family, you did it to me. This is why we started the National Food Project on our campus, and now it's thriving in the nations in an up-and-coming neighborhood with lots of young people. It's serving the needs of this community. This is why we build uh, habitat houses. This is why we go to Guatemala. This is why we send people to Africa, and there was actually a fire this weekend at Project Canaan, uh, hard for Africa, so we're going to check and see what we can do to help them uh, in the wake of that fire. This is why we have uh, almost, or I think over now, 200 children and adults that are sponsored by Woodmont families in Guatemala and a group that's going there in a couple of months to continue that amazing ministry. This is why we have Morgan Scott. You know, this is why we partner with Fall Hamilton because we take outreach seriously. And if you want to get more involved with outreach, at the end of the service, walk down the front of the aisle. Steve and Deb LaFord are sitting right here on the aisle and they'll talk to you and they'll tell you what you can do and how you can do it because there's a lot of different ways for you to get involved and serve in this community and in this world. Um, it makes a difference. 
You know, Jesus started his ministry by quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And so as Christians, we have a theological mandate to serve those who are struggling, to share resources, and to give back. And we must continue to make being a missional church, an active church, a priority as we move into the future. Fourth, the church must be a place where people of different politics and ideologies can come together for meaningful and respectful dialogue. We find unity in our diversity. This has always been a hallmark of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. We have these famous sayings throughout the history of our denomination. It goes back to the early days of the American frontier in Kentucky with the Stones and the Campbells. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love or charity. Now, of course, we can't agree on what the essentials and the non-essentials are, but we need to try to talk about it. That which unites us is far greater than that which divides us. We believe that at Woodmont, and we try to practice that and lift that up. I don't have to tell you this, but we now live in a culture where political and Christian tribalism is the default position. People tend to surround themselves with other people who just think like them. And so what is becoming more and more rare are churches that acknowledge that we don't have consensus on every topic. And that's Woodmont. Woodmont's not a liberal church or a conservative church. Woodmont is a church. I call it a big tent church. And, and what we do here, and, and, and our, our culture needs this, is we try to get people together who may see things differently, see the world differently, and we try to get them to have dialogue over what that looks like. Because if we can't model civility and conversation in the church, then what hope does this culture have for doing that? I did my doctoral work on, on this topic because I'm, I, I'm so convinced that it's going to continue to be a challenge in the 21st century. Um, there are too many things in our world that divide people. There's too much conflict. There's too much hostility. There's too much anger and angry rhetoric. We see it all the time. And we're called to rise above that and to to find a way to live in harmony together. It's not easy, it's not simple, but it's worth it. It's what the Christian church is all about. We are unified at the table of our Lord. It's what Dr. Jawoda was talking about when he said, this is an umbrella church. He said the steeple looks like a folded up umbrella. If you can keep your hand on the, on the handle, which is a belief in Jesus Christ, then there's lots of room under the umbrella for different denominations and different theologies and different politics and, and, and different social stances. And we need more of that in this world because we continue to just tear ourselves to shreds, lifting up only the things where we disagree. But we're called to learn from each other and talk to each other. You know, we have... We have liberals and conservatives and moderates all in this church. <laughs> I got them in most of my small groups, <laughs> all the camps. 
Jonathan Haidt now teaches at NYU. He was a UVA professor for a while, but um, in his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, I love this quote. He says, liberals are experts in thinking about issues of victimization, equality, autonomy, and the rights of individuals, particularly those of minorities and nonconformists. Conservatives, on the other hand, are experts in thinking about loyalty to the group, respect for authority and tradition and sacredness. But when one side overwhelms the other, the results are likely to be ugly. A society without liberals would be harsh and oppressive to many individuals. A society without conservatives would lose many of the social structures and constraints that Durkheim showed are so valuable. The church has to be a place where we keep that balance. Lastly, the fifth and final point that I want to make this morning about the future of the church, the future of Christianity. We must confront what, what has been documented by many people now as being one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century, and that is loneliness and social isolation. Another report came out this week that Tennessee continues to lead the nation in opioid and drug overdose deaths. People are living lives where they don't feel like they have any meaning. Isn't it ironic that in this age of social media where people are supposedly hyper-connected all the time, that they're perhaps lonelier than they've ever been before? And so I have one answer as to how we continue to answer this at Woodmont. It's Small groups, life groups, small groups, life groups. Get yourself into a small group or even better, start one. Because connecting with other people is so important. All of us hunger for deeper and more meaningful relationships. We, we have some amazing opportunities here for you to connect with other people so that you don't have to live life by yourself. But we always need more which means we need more leaders. We need more people to start them. One of the highlights of, of my week will come on Wednesday morning when I gather, and I've been gone the last couple Wednesdays and I've missed it, but I'll gather around the table with about 15 guys, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, broad ages, and we study scripture, usually the scripture that I'm working on for Sunday, and we have conversation just about life, about family, about marriage, about work, about money, about balance. It's so nice to know that we don't deal with the problems in life. Uh, we're, not, we're not alone. Other people are dealing with the same thing, and, it, and it's helpful to, to talk about that. I'm convinced now more than ever before that as churches move forward, small groups are absolutely essential. And if you're not involved in one, I'm just telling you you're missing out. I'm not going to guilt you into, into doing it. I'm just telling you you're missing out. As human beings, we long for connection. We are hungry for relationships, uh, not just superficial relationships, but, 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 but not just on-screen on, on relationships, but face-to-face -face relationships that go beneath the surface where honesty and vulnerability are present. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. And guess what? Being too busy is an excuse. 
So these are the five factors that I think are going to continue to keep the church and the Christian faith healthy and vibrant in the future. A focus on Jesus Christ, a place of healing, a place that's committed to outreach and service, a place where different perspectives and ideologies can come together, and a place that confronts loneliness and social isolation by giving people meaningful connections. I want to close this morning with the words of Dr. Jawoda, who was a founding pastor of this church, 1943 to 1973, and then he became the emeritus. But he once wrote these words, and I love them. He said, this is the church of my dreams, a church of the warm-hearted, open-minded, adventurous spirit, a church of the people, a church that is high, low, and broad, as high as the ideals of Jesus, as low as the humblest person, as broad as the love of God, a working, worshiping, saving church, a church that interprets truth in terms of the times and challenges times in terms of the truth, a church that inspires courage for this life and hope for the life to come, a church that's worthy of our best. So happy 76th birthday, Woodmont. We're going to have a cake after this service if you want to come into the gathering hall. Here's to at least 76 more great years. Amen.